What's up, church planters and all you fans of church planting? My name is Jared Huntley, and I'm with my good friend and fellow planter in arms, Matt Hess. And you guys are listening to In the Trenches, a podcast by everyday church planters for the everyday church planter. So whether you're a lead church planter or you're on a church planting team or you're just a fan of church planting, then this podcast is for those of you who want to get in the trenches and advance the kingdom of God. Matt is is flexing right now uh, on camera for some reason. How's it going, Matt? You, did you have a good workout yeah. this morning? I didn't even lift this morning. You didn't? Bro, bro do you even lift, bro? Yeah, uh, not apparently not compared to you. Have you seen those meatheads in the gym? They wear yeah. those shirts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen those guys this, before. I saw this guy at the gym the other day. It was like uh, he had this shirt on that said, like, I love leg day <laughs> or something like that. You know, it's interesting. The gym I go to in is in Capitol Hill right now. And yeah, like there's it's a nice gym, but there's like none of those people there. Like there's no like jacked guys like at all yeah. in the whole gym. It's maybe it's the time of day that I go, but like it's mostly old people and and then like some moms you know like like very obviously moms and old people and uh you're, you're like i'm gonna keep on going here because this gym makes me feel good about myself it does i feel younger i feel fitter i feel just all, overall <laughs> in general i feel much better about myself when i go to this gym so but i'm not gonna be able to go to it much longer because we're moving into a new place and and i'll right, exciting yeah. stuff yeah so for those of our listeners that don't know milestone and the huntley family is i bought my first house so that's exciting pretty pretty exciting it is pretty exciting it's not as exciting when you look at how much house i could have gotten for what i paid in texas here right uh, but i just try not to think about it and then i feel yeah. better so when i got out of the marine corps in 2004 eric and i started looking for our first house and i remember we had a budget of fifty thousand dollars that's that's what we were gonna you know we wanted to spend we were like let's just spend fifty to buy a house to buy a house, yes. When did you when when did you get out of the Marine Corps? Like the sixties? Right after my tour in <laughs> Vietnam. Right after my second tour in Nam. That no, we, we two thousand and four, bro. And um, so our the the realtor was a friend of ours, a friend of our families, and so she showed us a few houses. And even in like Claremore, Oklahoma, which for our listeners is near Tulsa we realized pretty quickly, like we're going to have to kind of go up, you know, to, but I mean, like you could you, back then you could like, we could have bought a house for 50 grand. And so we were like, we better up it. So we upped it to like 80 grand, I think. Yeah. And I think our first, I think our first house we bought, which was a pretty nice house to start, especially it was like a three bedroom, two bath, 12, 1300 square foot. And, uh, we paid 79, I believe for. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a down payment for, you know, most homes yeah. in this area and in the Toronto area too. It's oh like, man. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's it is crazy. crazy. Well, yeah. thank, thank God for uncle Sam and that VA loan. Cause yeah, I mean, that VA loan, that is shoot, a, that is a have primo that, loan, man. If I didn't have that thing, we would not be homeowners right now. That's for sure. So yeah, gave us a leg up. So I guess it makes that year in the desert worth it. That's right, man. There you go. It's good. Yeah. Uh, everything going good in your world. Yeah, man. Uh, last night was Halloween. Big yeah. night. Big night. Big night. When you when you got four kids, you know, twelve and under, that's a pretty exciting night, dude. So this was our first Halloween here, and yeah. we got we got introduced into what ha- Halloween is like on Capitol Hill. It yeah. is 
bananas. Yeah, like, it it's is. It's crazy really crazy here, man. Like, yeah, because the entire city comes to Capitol Hill because apparently word is out that like this is the place to be if you want the good candy because like full size candy bars. It's nuts, man. Like there yeah. were so many people, like there were lines, like endless wow. lines at our house. And so like I had a couple of friends, we were out uh, doing some evangelism beforehand and yeah. Jen was like sending us to go walk down to the CVS to buy more candy. And we bought like a bunch more bags and we came back and we quickly realized like, oh no, this isn't enough. We're going to have to go get more. Like we yeah. we couldn't keep up. It was crazy. So, oh yeah, man. I, I remember when, when I was uh, stationed there, there, there's always a ton of it, but, but yeah, man, it's, I think it's in some of those places like that. It's, it's a really, really big deal, but yeah, Erica was under the weather last night. So I was kind of on trick or treating duty and, uh, cadence has like had a cough, our four year old. So it was really nasty here. It was raining and the wind was nuts, man. Um, you guys went anyways, I, I, huh? Yeah, we went anyways. We, uh, some friends came over and, and, uh, we took them out, but, but yeah, man, it it's funny. Hey, one one we knocked on one door and uh, she, me me and Cadence, you know, I mean, like Cadence is, I know I'm biased, but she's pretty adorable. And so like Cadence is dressed up like JoJo Seawall, which is like this teeny bopper like <laughs> pop singer or whatever, and she's obsessed with her. She loves all our songs and stuff. And um, and so anyway, so like we're knocking on doors and we knock on this door cause it's cadence and I just went out first when it was, you know, a little bit calmer and then we were going to come back in and then let the older kids go out. So we knock on this door and this lady's like, she answers the door and she's like in her like thirties. And this lady's like, um, Oh, I'm not doing it this year. And she's like, see, my light's not on. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it was just kind of, <laughs> It was just kind of awkward. She's kind of and, like trying to tell you, like you shouldn't, you should have known better that I'm not well, doing yeah. it this year. And so, like, I mean, when I when I got saved, when when Christ saved me, He took away some things. But we all know, man, that sanctification is a work in process. What you What you do? It's, <laughs> so, like, I was this close to saying. I didn't know that that was the universal sign for trick or treating, right? Like if you if you say like you know, but my light's not on. So I get back home and Erica and and uh, her girlfriend who brought her kids over, like they're visiting and stuff. And I was telling the story, and they're like, "Uh, yeah, it actually is the universal it, sign." I was gonna say, kind <laughs> of is. And I was like, "Well, I." really glad the spirit yeah. didn't let me shoot my mouth off it's so. so funny because we were talking about that last night um because we ran you know we got out of candy and so we were like uh i was telling jen like you just need to turn the light off that's the universal sign that you're not participating and right so yeah it's true what, what did jen say she agreed she knows it is oh yeah i i, I could see jen like being disappointed that she was out of candy oh uh, well i mean it was we were out there for a while it was kind of like you know we had our we had a run. We gave out. So Jen, this this won't surprise you. Jen um, had tracks and she put stickers with our church's info on the back of tracks and she handed <laughs> yeah, them to love it. every single family that came. It was absolutely it was a, man. We, That's so great. we went out, we went out there and helped her. So we were handing out tracks and yeah. Uh, so yeah, That's it was good. awesome, man. Halloween is a it's a <laughs> it is a fun night, man, for kids. You know, there. so I, I posted this thing. I posted a picture of our kids, you know, like on social media. 
and you know, like I don't get on there much anymore. I just post stuff and, but, but I got on there because I, I wanted to check if I spelt something right. And I saw that this dude comments on my post and he's like, the devil is smiling and the kids are make helping him smile because it's like Halloween. Somebody I'm commented thinking. that on your post? <laughs> my post with my kids and their Lord costumes. Have Lord have mercy. And, and I'm just like, man, dude, Did you, chill who, out. Who, who, who was? Was it somebody you know? No, it, it was a former church member of a church that I led in uh, the okay. States. And I was just like... Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just thought, man, dude, you know. Whenever I have people that I don't know super well to say stuff like that, I just block. I just block them. <laughs> like, oh, I don't yeah, even I, like. I'm like, yeah, I, I don't. Just, I don't care what you I, say. So, <laughs> I just delete it. You know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Oh man, that's funny. Um. Well, hey, man, we should we should get into our topic today. Yeah, what are we talking about today? So, Except for Halloween and real estate. Yeah. Well, we're gonna talk about planting churches in quote unquote, hard places. So yeah. for our listeners, uh, we told you a couple weeks ago, we've been kind of telling you guys, uh, we're going to be collaborating some with Church Planting Cop Podcast by Clint Clifton and Josh Transky. And this past week, they interviewed Thabiti Anya Wole. Uh, and uh, so Thabiti is at Anacostia River Church right here in DC, not too far from me. They're across the river, the Anacostia River. Uh, and the neighborhood that they're in is not not an easy place. It's a tough place. It's, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's just a rough part of DC. It's kind of like the other, uh, part of DC that you, that people don't know about. So whenever people, tourists come and they visit, uh, a lot of times they don't see that part of DC and they don't realize that, uh, just, uh, that there's a lot of areas in DC that, uh, are in desperate need of hope and of the gospel. I mean, all of them are, but, um, I think the brokenness looks different in different parts of DC. And so, uh, thebiti has been there for several years now they've planted a really successful church. And so, uh, if there's anybody who kind of knows what it's like to plant churches in hard places, then, uh, he's one of those guys. And so I thought this would be a good, uh, topic for us to cover kind of piggyback off of Clint's conversation with Thabiti. Um, and, uh, you know, I've got, uh, even though it's a lot different of a context, uh, I do have some experience planting a church in a hard place, quote unquote. Um, it's just uh, a different type of a hard place because my hard place was in Canada, uh, which is much different than Southeast DC. So, um, you know, like I said, there's different types of hard places. And today, and I'm not, and today we're going to talk about, we're not, we're not just talking about like spiritually hard ground. Um, so much as we're talking about, um, low income slash inner city areas. So when we say hard places, that's kind of what we're uh, talking about today. Although I would say they are also spiritually hard places most of the time. So Matt, are you paying attention? Yeah, absolutely. I, I was just, <laughs> I was just thinking like somebody's out there like, yeah, I planted a church in a Mongolian underground prison. Why don't you tell me like how hard? <laughs> well, so this is primarily directed at a North American context. <laughs> I guess we should preface that. I'll go ahead and say that. So maybe, go, maybe ahead we should clear. go ahead and get off your high horse Mongolian <laughs> church planner. Stop. Stop looking down your nose at us. Uh, Oh gosh, it's so funny. <laughs> we should probably clarify though. Like, we're not saying that there are easy parts to plant churches in. Like, all church planting is difficult. Before we get started here today, so yeah, don't email. They're all don't e the same. <laughs> they're all the same. No, we're not saying they're all the same. They're definitely are more difficult areas. But right, we when we say we hard places, yeah. we mean like they present 
challenges that that are unique. You don't find in the suburbs. We'll say that. Like yeah, yeah different types yeah. of challenges that uh, it's. I mean. Uh, I will say this, like it is harder to grow a church in a place like Southeast DC than it is the suburbs. Like, so when we talk about hard, like that's just, that's just the plain truth. It is, um, you know, like uh, there are unique challenges that the suburbs present that the, you know, the urban areas like where we're at, we're in an urban area. We're not in a really a low income area. We're in an actually a pretty expensive area. Um, everything's expensive in, in, uh, most of in, in DC, but, um, there's just unique challenges. So I guess let's start off by talking about this, Matt, like what are some of the unique challenges of planning a church in places that are low income or inner city areas that people may not understand? I I think that, you know, in there are, you, you, you have to be willing to, uh, let me prefix this by saying every church should be willing and desire to deal with marginalized people. I think in those regions, you're, you're going to, that, that has to be exclusively part of your strategy. Uh, you just have to be willing to do that. I mean, um, you know, whether it's impoverished or, uh, or mental health challenges or whatever it may be, mm-hmm. you're going to have to deal with those things. And it's not just having to, it's the, it, it's, it's, coming from a, a heart of if Christ was here, he would desire to do that. Right. And so I think those are some of the challenges when you, when you're talking about difficult areas, I think like there's, there's several types of difficult areas. You, you, you mentioned two of them, you know, there's the impoverished uh, or there's uh, you know uh, like lower income, there's urban. Um, and then I, I think there's just the, the, the lostness, the vast lostness. And to our listeners, when they think of difficult areas, they're probably thinking about those three things, you know, maybe lo- low income or area where there's a lot of mental health challenges, their uh, urban, urban environments, and then also just the vast lostness, the, um, you know, in a place like uh, the greater Toronto area. I mean, you're, you're looking at on, on, our, on our best days, you know, two to three percent evangelical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm guessing it's pretty similar in the DC area. Um, so, so I, I think that those are the challenges you, you can't just do church as normal. You can't just say we're open, come check us out, come see us. I think that you really can't do that almost any place anymore. No, but, um, it's becoming but, increasingly harder to do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is that, interesting though, that. Like even being being back in the states now for the past like several months, like it's interesting to me how many people you run into who are churched people. Like it's just very um, yeah eye opening to me. Like you notice it a lot more after you've been away from it, you know, because in Canada where you are and where I was before, that just almost never happens. Like you just don't run into people who are churched. Uh, and here I find it happening a lot more. It's, it's interesting. And DC is not like a bastion of like Christianity either. Like no, it's, no. um, it's, it's, it's got a pretty high level of lostness, uh, here. But I mean, I think the, these inner city areas, low income areas, like the way that I think the, the best way for me to understand them is that in, in, 
many oftentimes the what it is is this the physical condition of the city is matching the spiritual condition uh, of the city uh, I, I think in you know urban settings that are maybe more upscale a lot of times you know the spiritual condition is just as bad just as depraved but on the outside right the outside of the cup the physical condition may not match that which and you know a lot of ways can be uh can be even more of a detriment to those people because like jesus said it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and so you know there's there's that sense in which that's a unique challenge that wealthier areas have but i think that the challenge that you have in low income and inner city areas is that, you know, there are, is real physical need. There's real, there's systemic injustice happening. There's people being marginalized. There are, there are problems that are far deeper than just surface level that you can't just, you know, expect to come as a church planner and go, we're going to fix these people or we're going to fix this place. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. I, I read this really fascinating article this past week about uh, on, in Christianity Today, and um, it's about this church in Seattle. And man, they were they're about to close their doors. They're getting to the point where they're going to just like have to shut down or do something drastically different. And they chose the latter. They decided to do something drastically different, and they decided to start this thing called Dinner Church. And I don't know if you've heard of this or not, mm. but it's called Dinner Church. And they started fifteen of these. I believe throughout Seattle and um, it's everything is ca- centered and catered around the, the table the around meal. a meal mm. and I'm, I, and they do it every week. And, and it's not just like part of their church, like it's their church and they do liturgy, they do worship, uh, they do like live arts, whatever. And, but it's been like wildly successful. Mm. And the really cool thing about it that struck me as just beautiful when I read is that it gets everybody around the table, wealthy, poor, marginalized, LGBT, whoever it may be, they're all coming together and they're all growing. They told this really incredible story about a guy who was an alcoholic and he came there for three years and then he started having Christian conversations, came to Christ. But I bring that up because I, I think what they chose to do was to say, let's stop trying to do something and get these marginalized people or the society to come to us instead let's do something that meets a tangible need Mm -hmm. in the name of christ and engages the community and man i just thought that was so really so interesting and and really cool because you said something earlier man that just struck this thought in my mind we have outsourced so much to the government yep like you and i were talking a little bit about this offline we won't get into it because it, it, you know, it's a million episodes, but you know, like the whole controversy right now about charitable status in the church and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But we have allowed the government to do things and to, and to, to take responsibility for things that we should be taking responsibility for. Mm-hmm. We've been for, for 30 years, for three decades, we've been so consumed with getting people into our front doors to, 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 to feast at the buffet of our programs and attraction that we have not gone to those people. Yep. We've not engaged the homeless. We've not engaged the poor, the mentally unstable um, and all these kinds of things. And we've just, and I think we're coming back around to it. And I think when you plant in difficult places, it's not, you, you can't say we're going to get to that stuff. You have to do that stuff. That has to be the, that's, that has to be the stuff that you do. 
that like has to be the stuff that you do. Like that, exactly. be, that's church for you. Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that while there are unique challenges in places like that, I also think that there are unique opportunities in places like that uh, because, you know, people are uh, open to the gospel. I'll tell you this. I, when we were in Oshawa, like, so Oshawa, you know, for those that aren't aware, it's a, you know, city on the east end of Toronto, about 175,000 people in it. The south end and the north end are kind of like, there's this dividing line between the poor and then the middle class, basically. Yeah. And the poor live on the south end. And that's where we planted our church. We planted our church in South Oshawa. And I, after years of going out there in the harvest and sharing the gospel, I would have gone to, I would have been in South Oshawa sharing the gospel any day over the North End because the people were so much more receptive and kind, right? Like I was met with hostility uh, very consistently whenever I went to, you know, the nicer neighborhoods and stuff like that. And, you know, we also think we need to recognize that like, you know, Jesus went to these places. Like that's where he intentionally focused his time. It was amongst the poor, amongst, uh, you know, the, the sinners, uh, amongst those that, you know, nobody else was going to. Um, and so I think that there are opportunities in those places, uh, where people are genuinely open to the gospel because they're not under the illusion that they have their lives together. They're not under the illusion that like they are in control. In fact, they, they know that they're not in control. Uh, yeah. There's a lot of messiness and there's a lot of brokenness because they're desperately trying to fill their lives with stuff. Uh, and they're looking everywhere they can for just to escape, I think, yeah. the brokenness. And so that's why you see such a high level of addiction and, you know, drug use. And you see these broken mm-hmm. homes and, you know, anger, uh, you know, and abuse. And so, I mean, it's heartbreaking when you yeah. see it. But I, I do think that like people are ready to be met with the gospel, uh, in, in places like that. But one of the differences is, is that you've got to be willing to walk with them for the long haul. This yeah. is not a, this is not a, a you know, swoop in for a couple of years, you know, change the city and then go on your merry way. Like it's, you've got to be in it for the long haul. You've got to plant something that's going to last and you've got to be willing to walk with people in discipleship and like, yeah, have grace towards people um, and realize that like, it's going to be messy, you know, like mm. it's just going to be, you're going to see things like you're going to have Christians do stuff that you're like, you would be shaking your head at, you know, yeah. uh, cause you got to teach people not just how to follow Jesus, but you got to teach them like, you know, like why they, sh- you know, how to pay their light bill instead of buying lottery tickets, you know, right. with, with their welfare check. Like, <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, are you yeah. like people don't know, they've never been taught. They've never been modeled and mm. they've got all these, you know, I mean, it's sin. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. But still. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's so true. And like, even if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, you are not in what we would call like a difficult area, you know, like these are principles that you could apply to your life and to your ministry of what we're talking about, like walking people with people. I like, as you were sharing that, man, I was thinking about, and I pastor in this rural area in Mississippi. And I remember we had a, uh, we had a family that they would constantly just like come to us for our benevolence ministry and the church would help them and like over and over and over again. And finally, like we just said, Hey, like, let's stop. We got to teach these people how to balance a checkbook. We got to, we got to teach these people that it's not, 
godly to carry unforeseen amounts of of debt it's not godly to live outside of your means right like so some of these things we're talking about today they're for anybody but you know i get back to oshawa man like you know north oshawa and south oshawa are so different and we're seeing that more across the gta and even and i have friends you know who live like around uh, Northern Virginia and in your area. And they're saying the same things, you know, like these, the demographics are shifting across cities. Like mm-hmm. well, don't go to that side of the city or this side of the city and yep. stuff. And I was thinking, as you were talking about Oshawa, it's so true, man, because every time we're in the harvest in South Oshawa, it's not like people, or as soon as you share the gospel with them are like, absolutely. Like, when can I get baptized? That's not what we're talking about, but it's this willingness or this openness to even have a conversation yep. where I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but when you go out to North Oshawa, it's tangibly different because why there's more money out there. Mm -hmm. People are moving out of Toronto and they're, they're, they're settling more and more into North Oshawa, Bowmanville, Curtis, the Eastern part of the GTA, because it's, it's, it's less expensive. I think one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible is Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler, man. Mm-hmm. Because he, he he talks to him and he says all that. And then in Matthew 10, verse 22, it says, after Jesus says, hey, go sell everything you own, give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Mm-hmm. And then he says, come follow me. And in verse 22, the guy says, but at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Mm-hmm. Oh, just heartbreaking. Yeah. He, he loved his stuff more than he huh. did about the thought of eternity. And I think in places like DC and Toronto, I, that's what you see, right? You see people who are, are more enamored with their, 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 their possessions, their, their lifestyle or whatever it might be. And I think it's fascinating centered around our conversation today. Jesus tells him to go and sell everything he has and to give it to who? The marginalized. Yeah, to the poor. Yep. to the poor yep. right um i i don't know man it's just it's a good conversation well, and i'm honestly like even as we're talking here it's making me think through like i mean how are we going to be more intentional about that in, in our church you know because yeah. we're we're in an area where you know yeah. southwest dc like right now we're meeting in a place called the wharf it's like one of the ritziest like developments we didn't choose it like the wharf chose me i didn't choose the wharf i got here they were already <laughs> yeah. meeting they were already meeting there yeah. and so we're like you know so we've been we've been in this spot and we're thankful for the space we really are um but it's just like but we've also got you know like there's still housing projects in the southwest now you know because they've got you know rules where they you know they're mandated mandated to have a certain amount of you know subsidized housing per whatever i don't know i don't understand the laws yeah. but um so they've still got these housing projects there and i mean like we've got to reach those people you know yeah. with the gospel and um you know it's just amazing being in a city and seeing that division cuz i've seen it firsthand like I, i'll be honest like i used to i didn't fully understand what people talked about when they talked about you know like you know um uh, just the the divided nature of our country along socioeconomic lines and, mm-hmm. and racial lines and things like that um you know several years ago being in dc dude it is unreal how obvious it is like you can draw if you draw basically like a a a line through the middle of the district of columbia 
on the east side of that line is almost completely african-american and on the west side is predominantly white slash other and on the east side is poor lower socioeconomic status on the west side is wealthy and it's just like night and day how much division there really still is and like to me it just highlights the desperate need for like the gospel of reconciliation Mm. and like i i don't want to i don't want to talk too much about the you know the racial reconciliation stuff but just because to be honest like i feel like we need to get somebody on the podcast like we need to get an african-american brother on the podcast to kind of talk with us about that because i I still have i i need to learn um because i don't feel like i have enough understanding to really speak too much into it all i can do is just point out what I'm observing and I'm observing it with my very own eyes. Like I'm watching gentrification happen in front of me. There is systemic injustice. Like it's real. Absolutely. So if you don't, if you don't think it's real, then come on up and you can stay at my house and I'll take you on a tour of my city and I'll show it to you with your own eyes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But well, I mean, when we, we talk about, you know, racial reconciliation and all those kinds of things, all of that's part of this conversation. Yep. I mean, all of that's part of being in difficult places, you know, where, um, I, I mean, like it's fascinating living in living in the GTA because I feel like because of our diversity here, because of how it's just part of the norm, we still have racism because it's everywhere. We still have challenges like that. But it's Can't, there's it's not, racists in Canada. Yeah, that's I right. I thought that they were, but, but I thought I thought yeah. that. No, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I'll I know, right? You get into some conversations and yeah. people act so shocked. I know, but 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 you know, yeah. I mean, we absolutely have to have that conversation, you know, and um, because it's all part of this. It's it's all part of you know dealing with all these kinds of things. Yeah. But but yeah, I mean, it's the 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 idea the idea that. I, I, I think, I think about like, uh, I'm, a, I'm I love Jim Cimbala. I mean, you know, that, mm-hmm. you know, out Brooklyn Tabernacle, man. Mm-hmm. And when th- that, that whole, him and his wife started that whole church and ministry on prayer and, um, and man, he, he tells so many stories about like, uh, you know, uh, ho- homeless people and impoverished people. And they've had to set up policies and structures and everything because they they have people that just like come in off the streets on their Sunday morning services, you know, and yeah. um, they'll panhandle in the lobby. He said they'll come into the sanctuary and they'll panhandle and stuff like that. And so he said they've had to build a bunch of plate things in place. Mm-hmm. He make if you're listening, go to YouTube and search for this video. He tells this story about it's a Christmas service. He preached like four Christmas services. He was dog tired. It might have been Easter. I don't remember one of the two. He's dog tired. <clears throat> and he said he extends the invitation. And he said, this guy comes forward and he, he, he locked eyes with him. And he thought, oh, man, it's been such a good day. Mm. And he said, this guy's going to come. He's going to ask me for money. And he just he already he, he, he already knew in his heart what this guy's going to do. This guy comes and he said the closer he got, the smell of this guy just knocked him out almost it was so bad Mm -hmm. he said just feces urine vomit all this kind of stuff it was just so bad he said he said the guy gets closer to him and uh jim simbola he was gonna call for like an usher somebody like to help him the benevolent stuff and he said 
I just thought, man, I'll just take care of this myself. So he said he reaches into his wallet and he goes to take out like some money. And he said, uh, here's some money. And the guy pushes his money aside and says, I don't want your money. He said, I want the Jesus you're talking about. Mm. And he said, I thought that this guy had come to me for money. And he said, man, he said, God just showed me right then and there. <laughs> you got, it's you, you got problems, not this guy, you got problems. And he said, man, I just, he said, I just started weeping. And that guy grabbed hold of me and he said, he just started hugging me. And Jim Sibla said, he felt very deep in his spirit that Jesus said, if you don't learn how to love this smell, then you can't love me because that's the way I smell the world. Mm. That's the way I smell sin. Mm. And I just thought, man, go watch that video. He tells it a million times better, obviously, because it happened to him, but it is so powerful. And I just think we've got to learn to look at the world the way Jesus sees the world. Yeah. You know, we, we've got to learn to love people that aren't like us, that don't think like us, that don't see the world like us. We've got to learn to love people, you know, and, and give them the gospel and be in relationship with people, um, you know, in, in these places. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's uh man, that's, that's an incredible story. Um, yeah, I, you're right. You're right. I think that it, it's, it, it costs something to go and to do ministry in places like that, but I think it's worth it. Um, and I think that, you know, not only is it worth it, I think, you know, like we've got, um, uh, you know, an obligation to, and, and, and we should be compelled to, like, it shouldn't just be out yeah. of obligation. It should be, uh, you know, because we're like our master Jesus, right. And, yeah. the, you know, Jesus went to those places. Um, so it's just a really good reminder that no matter where we're at, we need to be intentional about, you know, uh, reaching out to the least cities and planting churches amongst those places, you know, not just yeah. doing, you know, like, um, drive by ministry, you know, is what I would call yeah. it where you kind of like, you know, you stop in and you drop off some food and then you take off and you know, they don't see you again for three months. Like yeah. places like that need church planners who will come in and who will they, and will stay for the long haul and they'll love them and walk with them because yeah. I mean, these, these, the people that live there, the families that are there, the men and women that are there, like they desperately need someone who will love them enough to give them the time of day, uh, to, to walk with them and teach them yeah. how to follow Jesus and teach them how to, uh, how to get their lives put back together, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, man, I, and we should, we really should. I mean, like what you said about like racial reconciliation, we need to have somebody like Dahadi on here or something. We need to talk about some of the stuff. I mean, he, he's from Denton, Texas, but he plant, he planted blueprint in Atlanta and stuff. He'd be a great guy to have on, but you know, we should put this caveat in here, just like we're not experts or not on racial reconciliation. We're not experts on this stuff either. We're no. just, having a conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I think of a friend I, I have in Memphis, Tennessee, which has a ton of challenges right downtown. And he, he is the director of the union mission. And I mean, guys like him are the experts, you know, like they could tell you like how to work with people who have some significant life challenges mm-hmm. that, Cause I know there's, you know, I, I had a conversation once with a guy and the, centered around some of this stuff. And he said, you know, Matt, but like, how do you help, but don't enable, how do you empower, but don't say, keep coming back to me. 
like, and I said, man, I don't know. Like I'm not the expert on that stuff. And, but maybe we could put some resources out there and stuff for people who are more curious about those things. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, um, there, there's definitely some good resources out there about it. And, um, you know, we're certainly not experts. Um, I'm grateful for the, you know, the exposure that we did have to it, you know, being in Oshawa and, um, you know, just get to walk with people, uh, who, you know, came from difficult backgrounds, from difficult homes, you know, like, um, you know, sitting with, sitting with guys and reading Psalms to them, reading Psalms to a guy as he's, you know, yeah. uh, detoxing off of heroin in his apartment, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. those are, there's experiences like that, that, you know, you have that yep. have formed me a lot, you know, and shaped me. Yeah. And, uh, but you get to got, see God do some amazing things, man. You know, the people there at Fellowship Oshawa, man, we've got some sweet people there. Just, just mm-hmm. unbelievable people. I love them to death and, and miss yeah. them. Um, so it's, it's long work and it's slow work, but it's so worth it, man, because you get yeah. to watch the gospel literally like transform, you know, uh, lives in ways that are just pretty incredible. So, yeah. and I think as far as, uh, you know, briefly before we kind of wrap things up, uh, you know, some guys may be processing a call to go, you know, like to, you know, uh, should I plant a church in a place like that? Should I go to a yeah. low income area or, you know, to the inner city and plant a church? And I think that there are, there's, there's two kind of sides to this argument. Um, I think that in a very real sense, we, we need to deny ourselves and, <coughs> and we need to, you know, Jesus said the son of man has no place to lay his head. And so yeah. a call to follow Jesus is not a call to live comfortably. Right. right and so right. it's not comfortable. Like Jen and I, I, whenever we moved to Oshawa and people would find out we moved there from Texas, the first question we would get every single person we met was they would give us this puzzled look and they'd go, yeah. why? You know, yeah. cause I was like, like, why would anybody choose to move to South Oshawa? They just didn't understand. And it was right. great because it gave us an opportunity to share the gospel with those people. Um, but you know, it's kind of like, well, why would Jesus you know, leave heaven and come to earth? Like why, <laughs> like, why would you exactly. want to come here? Jesus? Uh, yeah. well, love is what compelled Jesus to come, uh, yeah. to leave, to leave his throne and to come here. Uh, and so I think that it's important to do that. And yet we also, on the other side of that coin, we shouldn't put ourselves in a place where, we're not going to be healthy and where our family is going to struggle significantly. Mm. Um, like you can't just ignore your family when you're, when you're making these decisions. And I, I've heard people say like, you know, you shouldn't move somewhere that you shouldn't plant a church somewhere that you're not going to be happy. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that to a point, although I do have a tough time with it because I think, Honestly, man, I do think a lot of times guys say that and they use it as an excuse to basically to not have mm. to suffer uh, and yeah. to to kind of like live where they want to live, where they're comfortable. I don't yeah. know. How do you how do you kind of wrestle with that tension, Matt? Uh, you know, I, I don't know him personally very well at all. But uh, Bodie Bauckham said this to me one time at, after a conference that we were at. He said, you should never sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. And I, I, you know, when he said it in that time frame where I was at in my life, it didn't make a lot of sense to me um, because we were kind of in, you know, just like a successful middle class ministry where people were pretty much all the same. But I feel like as I've gotten older, I, I've come to really appreciate those words because. 
and I, I don't think it's it for any one scenario, if I'm making sense. I don't think like you should, you should sacrifice your families to say like, yeah, we're going to go and we're going to live amongst this population. We're going to live in, in this group. And my family's going to completely be uncomfortable. My family's going to be completely unhealthy or unhappy or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But this is what God's called us to. So there's a real tension in our family lives and in our personal lives where I tell you this all the time, God is a good father and he loves us and he wants us to be joyful and all those things. So if we're doing things that doesn't make us joyful on a consistent year after year after year basis, maybe we need to think about doing something else with our lives if we belong to God or, or maybe God does call us to difficult things for certain seasons Mm -hmm. and he uses those difficult things to make us more like our father in heaven. So I think we have to do a lot of fasting. I think we have to do a lot of praying. I think we have to think through a lot of those things. And I think sometimes we have to reevaluate what we call difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because when, when we came here, when you guys came here, when other people, you know, like it was difficult, it was hard. And we didn't know anybody you know, uh, it was, exp- it's expensive. There's multiple challenges. Now, would I say like what we've done here is on the same level of difficult of like, you know, selling everything we own and like going to a closed country? Probably not. You know, I mean, so, so like what you call difficult, I might not call difficult. What mm-hmm. I call difficult, other people might not call difficult. That's what's so beautiful about the kingdom is God calls us to, kingdom ministry assignments that are uniquely suited for us and our gifts. And so I think you just have to let the spirit balance out that tension, man. Mm -hmm. And if you're listening to this and you're, you're wrestling with a call to missions or you're wrestling with a call, you know, a few years ago, I was, um, I got invited to speak at this thing and this guy comes up afterwards and he's like, um, talking to me about church planning stuff. And, and, uh, he's an older brother. He's probably in his like mid to late sixties. And this is in Toronto. And, um, I said, well, man, where are you from? He said, I'm from Buffalo. And, uh, he said, I actually just retired. And, uh, he said, I retired from a church and now I'm thinking of, or no, not thinking they're going to, he said, my wife and I are empty nesters. We're moving into the inner city of Buffalo to help start a church. Mm. And I looked this brother up. He didn't just pastor a church, man. It was like a multi-thousand church in Buffalo. It was eno- it was like this enormous Presbyterian church hmm. that he passed. He he was there for like thirty years. He like oh, wow. was the leader when they were growing everything else like that. And so like he was willing to say, you know, I'm at a season in my life where I want to go down and do this difficult thing in inner city Buffalo. And I want to get out of the suburbs. And I, that just really struck me and stuck with me to say like, man, you know, God calls people to different things and you have to wrestle with what it is. I mean, you and I've had this conversation before. I mean, like if, if God, if God ever called me back to a place like Oklahoma or Texas or wherever, I mean, that would be challenging. Mm -hmm. That would be, that would be difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be easy because you'd have access to Chick-fil-A's <laughs> and Targets, but we've come to not care so much about that stuff anymore. Yeah. It's It would be hard in another way. Mm-hmm. Does that all make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah it does. 
That's good. That's good. Well, man, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for this episode. Um, yeah. There's a lot more we could talk about for sure. Absolutely. Um, but that was kind of the ramblings of Matt and Jared when it comes to <laughs> yeah. when it comes to thinking through this topic. So uh, hopefully some of what we talked about was helpful and encouraging for you guys and just some of the things that we shared as our listeners. But, hey, man, let me, let me just say this one last thing. I just, I just want to share this. It, I, we do a lot of assessments. You're involved in the assessments now in D.C. And, um you know, it is so important when a husband and wife are on the same page mm-hmm. with the ministry calling and stuff like that. Matter of fact, we'll, 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 we'll red light a church planner if his wife is not on board. Right. Um, and I think when you're talking about like being called to places that might be difficult or whatever it may be, I think for these brothers that listen, I, I, I've over the past couple of years, I've, I've met several planners and just church leaders and they're wrestling through the things we're talking about today, but their wives aren't necessarily on board with it. And it, and if you, if you're not in it together, that might be a good sign that you're not being called to that. Yeah. I, I, I just really believe that in my heart. Like hmm. you, you have to be in it together. You know, if uh, you're not going to go to a tough place and you know, and, and your spouse just hates it. And uh, it's going to be successful. I've just heard a lot of crash and burn stories through that mm-hmm. over the years. So I just want to add that. Yeah. I actually had a friend tell me uh, a story about a another. Uh, he was in a country in the Middle East and another cup brother that came over there as a missionary and really felt called and, and the, his spouse wasn't, you know, like completely sure about it. And he like went over yeah. there, but he was like, just gung ho, like was went ready to get after it. They got over there. It, it, I mean, it was hard, you know, I mean, you're in a, yeah. you go to the middle East, you know, and especially as a woman, um, you're, I mean, it's, it's a different ball game over there. Absolutely. And like after a few months, um, you know, she was like, you know, begging him to like that, like we can't do this. You know, like we've yeah. got to go. And she, and he was like, no, you know, just keep pressing in. And she ended up getting on a plane, taking the kids, and go back to the states. And Oof. she called him and said, um, she said, I'm here. If you want to stay married to me, we'll be waiting on you. But if not, then. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so like, you know, that, that, and I was kind of like a, obviously I was a wake up call for that, for that brother. And, uh, yeah. I think if I remember the story correctly, he did go home and, you know, which was the right thing to do. And, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so gotta be on, wow. gotta be on the same page. Sure. Yeah, it's true. So, uh, well, Hey, we want to thank you guys, our listeners for listening to another episode of in the trenches. Uh, you can head on over to www.getinthetrenches.com and you'll find links to all of our other episodes there. Um, I do want to apologize cause I think we've had some links that have been broken on the website. Like we, uh, we do have Google play back up and running, uh, I believe, and we've got Spotify back up, but, uh, if there are links that are broken, would you guys like, let me know and give me a shout out by emailing me my, uh, my email address is in the show notes and so uh, we definitely would like to hear from you guys if something's not working properly uh, and also we'd just love to hear from you guys in general if you got questions or comments about the show uh, we hope that you guys are benefiting from it and that you're enjoying it uh, and if you are make sure you go and hit that subscribe button uh, and we're going to be back next Monday with another episode of In the Trenches so until then go out there and get in those trenches as church planners. 